Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This is your typical radio ad while eating a Crunch Bar. This is Automatic of Auto's Used Cars. This weekend only, we're having a whale! Bring the kids. See for yourself. It is huge. Gonna make a big splash. No other dealer can say they have a whale like this. When things sound dull, turn up the fun with Crunch. Welcome to the Always Be Comedy podcast. My name's James Gill. I am the MC at the multi-award-winning comedy nights, Always Be Comedy. I'm joined, as always, by my comedy husband, Always Be Comedy's very own, Tim Lewis. Hello, Tim Lewis. Hello, James Gill. The Always Be Comedy podcast is where we sit down with a guest and they curate what would be their dream comedy gig. Who would open? Who would close? What sort of gigging nightmare that they've experienced must not, under any circumstances, happen at this fantasy comedy gig? It's all this and so much more. And by so much more, we often mean quite a lot of gossip. Hello, welcome to the Always Be Comedy podcast. We're joined by the great Ed Byrne, one of the very best, immensely likeable. Oh, also, by the way, immensely likable, obviously a phenomenal comedian. Speaking of being a phenomenal comedian, my goodness, we've seen uh, a good chunk of the new show, Tragedy Plus Time, and Ed is discussing an incredibly, I mean, such a, a tragic personal loss and spinning comedy gold out of it. You know, I've heard Larry David say that um, comedy is a bit like um high board diving the bit the bigger the risk the more twirls the more somersaults etc uh then the the higher the, the the potential for the higher score and i think that's what ed has pulled off tim it's it's pretty barnstorming stuff isn't it this this new show it's great ed's always been a very good comedian one first one's ever gone into actually but this show is unlike anything he's ever done before in you know three decades it's you know, very cliche to say, but it is his most personal show, and it's astonishing. It's really brilliant stuff. In fact, yes, the first time I ever saw him do the, the, a, a, I don't want to spoil any of it, but there's a certain bit where we saw him do a crucial segment. You knew in the room that you were witnessing something very special. Uh, so we talk about that. Also, Ed himself has a new podcast. Now, we, Tim and I, we ruddy love dropping an exclusive, as you all know, and we think uh, this is another one. So Ed has got a new podcast coming out called Ed Burn Needs a Hobby. And this is where he buddies up with someone and they educate and inform him about a hobby that they do. They talk about the hobby and then they do the hobby together at the end to see if the hobby will stick for Ed. Um, it, I'll be honest with you, it, as I say to Ed, it, I think it would make for a perfect TV show. However, in the meantime, it will certainly make for a terrific podcast. So look out for that. Ed Byrne needs a hobby. And then also, if you Google Ed Byrne tour, you will find all the tour dates for Tragedy Plus Time. 
and we can assure you that gets the Always Be Comedy seal of approval, uh, an absolutely splendid show. Tim, with Ed, it's it's because he's such a, a, a towering figure in stand-up and in comedy, it always feels special, doesn't it, when it comes to Always Be Comedy? He is. I'm going to talk about this a bit later, but... Ed Barron's one of the first queens I properly, fully got into when I was a teenager getting into stand-up. I think there was something about either Irish family, so you always want to like, see the Irish comedians do well. And at the time of me getting into comedy, he was absolutely flying. I'm not saying that jealous is the word, Tim, but when you mention the Irish family, there are lots of people who have roots in other countries, right? And it's my two girls, it's Culture Week at their primary school this week. And so there's kids who have roots from all around the world. Tim, my family is so English. And as far as we know, it just, I want, I want to do one of those, those heritage DNA tests. Mate, we were, we were struggling so much for a costume for the girls this morning that the youngest has had to go dressed in like a, a Spanish flamenco dress because she's been to Spain on holiday. <laughs> Great. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I, I felt like pangs of guilt for being so boring because we dropped them off and there's kids. Oh my, they look incredible. And, and I know that their their families uh, are, are from, you know, some of the most wonderful places around the world. And my, my two poor girls, oh my God. I may as well have like dropped them both dressed as like fish and chips or something. <laughs> when you're listening to this, when you're older girls, I'm, I'm really sorry. Your correspondence uh, means the world and we, we, we will always read out what we can. Uh, and this is lovely. Now, the Tommy Field, this is what Tim and I have to get our head around. And the, again, we're wandering into false modesty territory. The Tommy Field is a 70-seater room above a pub. And then obviously you get correspondence and the and the penny drops. I mean, obviously Tim and I are always checking the stats because we're a couple of worry boys. But the, the penny drops that, oh yeah, a lot of people listen to this podcast. And then this was one of those emails where, where you go... Um, and it's a, it's a, it's barely a gag, but it's one I've used before. We're not in Kennington anymore. And this is from Heather from the Tyne Theatre Opera House. Um, hi guys. Just want to say, I love what you do! Exclamation mark. I thoroughly enjoy the podcast every week and follow on Instagram to see who is performing and the special surprise act. As somebody pointed out in the past, Tim, you, you, you just said it, uh, a few moments ago off mic. Uh, in the past week, we've we, Sophie Duca absolutely banging it out on a, a banged out work in progress. She's so brilliant. Uh, Acast the other night, Double Stewart, you know, we, Brett Goldstein, Pasco, um, you know, it, it, it's not lost on, on us. And we're, and we're always super grateful. Your podcast is just the perfect time for me to geek out on all things comedy. Heather, this is this is manifest. This is Beethoven to my eyes. Uh, listening to some of my favourite comedians and opening up a world of new performers uh, whenever someone is mentioned who I'm not familiar with, or equally getting to remember excellent bits from the superstars of comedy all over again, particularly Victoria Woods, The Ballad of Frida and Barry, as reminded by Mike Wozniak. I listen to that every day for a week after <laughs> hearing it talked about on the podcast. Do you know what, Heather? You've inspired us. We're going to share that on our Twitter now, purely because of you. Uh, as a busy man in Newcastle upon Tyne, I'm not sure I'll ever have the chance to get to the Tommy Field to see a night of always be comedy in the flesh, as it were. Um, but I'm lucky that I get to book many tours and comedians as part of my job 
at the Tyne Theatre and Opera House and get to see the finished tour shows after seeing comedians doing work in, pro work in progress nights with you in the months before. I'm such a fan and I'll keep following and listening. Oh, ellipses, exclamation mark. Lovely. Heather, that's like your standing ovation at the end here. Thanks very much, Heather. Now, Tim, what I would say to you is, given that is Heather's job, who would you pick out as someone that you think in the future oh. Heather might be booking at the Tyne Theatre and Opera House? Well, I, I, I was Googling it as you were reading that out. I hope that's all right. Um, and it's a gorgeous theatre. It looks gigantic. Um, so, well, we saw her yesterday, Sophie Duker, that new show, she's not touring it for until minimum early next year, and it's already in a ridiculous state. It's fantastic already. That's a great shout. So I wouldn't be shocked if she's gracing that stage. Sophie Duker is a great shout. Josh Pugh, I mean, any comedians who listen to this will be rolling their eyes that, that I've once again gone with Pugh. I imagine Pugh would be one that would be playing there. Tim, anyone else in the future you would recommend? I think Dukes and Pugh is a great one too. Yeah, there's so many, so many brand new acts, but I think Sophie Duker, Josh Pugh, I'd put my money on it. <laughs> well, un unfair pressure for them. That is, un that is unfair pressure. Enjoy the pressure, guys. We're always really grateful for your correspondence. Please do keep it coming in. We are the team at alwaysbecomedy.com. The five-star reviews, even if you can't be bothered writing a review, it helps with the algorithm like you wouldn't believe. Uh, so, yeah, if you, uh, dream gig lineups. I know we've got some more of those to, to, write, uh, to read out. Dream gig lineups, any sort of correspondence, nice interactions with comedians. Uh, keep them coming. Tim, any other business? Well, we're on social media, of course. Heather gave us a lovely plug in her correspondence. Uh, we are at Always Be Comedy on Instagram, uh, TikTok, and Twitter. We'll see what happens there. But we're on Twitter, Always Be Comedy. I, I will confess, as a 45-year-old, Tim, I think you know that I am fascinated by the whole... <laughs> Please, James, sound more geriatric. But the whole... This whole social media thing of acts putting videos on and what have you, it is endlessly fascinating, isn't it? I it, <laughs> I think it's the thing I'm most interested in. Tonight, we have Mark Simmons, someone who has been brilliant for well over a decade, but in the last few years, um, puts things on TikTok and Instagram, he's been able to have very big and successful tours. And it's so lovely to see people finding their audience through alternative channels to television and radio it's very lovely to see there are many different ways now for comedians to find their audience tim is very tim is very very good um so i i have a youtube channel and if both my uh, subscribers are listening thank you bit of, bit of self-deprecation bit of self anyway tim very kindly chops these videos up so i put one up the other day called nostalgia and it went up as a YouTube short. It's only like 40 seconds. It raced to what <laughs> it raced to 1600 views in a matter of minutes. And I was WhatsApping Tim because to, for me, 1600 views in a matter of minutes, that's the equivalent of like Adele getting a billion views for the hello video or whatever. And I was messaging Tim, he, he's got 1600 views. And then Tim, 
it did not it has not budged beyond 1600 i see i will never i think this is why i'm interested because i'll never understand how it works never understand how it works what do you i think we should i think though we should keep we should keep, i mean we're we're quite we are quite new to the uh putting clips up right we've started mm-hmm. videoing always be comedy literally in the past couple of weeks uh but I'm up for I'm up for doing it, Tim, because it's it's fascinating as a social experiment as much as anything else, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's really interesting seeing what what the public take to. It's a it's a it's a lot like fishing, isn't it? It's fishing is weirdly the closest comparison I can make. Yeah, and there there is there is that undeniable rush of excitement. I mean, it's pathetic to admit this, but I put one up. Uh, I put something on Instagram the the marriage video, which is. I'll be honest with you. It's it's my favourite new bit for a good a good long while, Lovely. and it started doing well on Instagram. And it's how I don't know how these influencers cope because I, I felt like I'd had like some sort of lottery win. And he, I hate sorry, to say it, it's your bit, but I I keep checking it as well. And also, oh by the way, uh, dear listener, we're talking like what Tim like a few thousand views. We're not talking. <laughs> you're probably listening, thinking, wow, they must be talking tens of no, no, no thousands but to, but uh because we're relatively new to the video thing uh i suppose the pressure is tim i, I need to i need to come i need i need to keep coming up with more bits and sharing them well that's another good thing about it like it sort of has meant for a lot of comedians to try try and write like new gear for every week to put up stuff i'm i'm laughing because I, i've got an I've, I've i've i have a nice out for this bit, and it'll get as nice, and I'll, I'll we'll get Ed on. But just to, this is a this is a nice out because it's self-deprecating. And Tim, if you're wondering why I've gone red, it's because I've embarrassed myself with a memory from last night. So because Tim and I are, are starting, we're putting out more videos and what have you. Just you know, we're new and it's exciting. But um, so what happened? We had Sophie Duca last night, and it was a great night. The crowd were. Brilliant! What one of the best crowds ever? Oh, it was like... such a great. They were so lovely, and Duca, you know, just brings such. We chat about it after with Sophie. I think she also brings such lovely dudes, and she's like such a lovely fit at ABC. It's just one of those lovely. I know this is very positive, but it, it is one of those lovely things. And so the crowd were rocking. So I'd gone up and probably done about ten minutes up top, and uh, then Sophie goes on, does 60, 70 minutes, you know, barely pausing for breath, just fantastic. And so, Tim, I-, I wanted to say this to you off mic, but now we're in it. I'm going to, I'll say it on mic. Great. Uh, well, no, because this is, you know, this is a, a confession. So while Sophie was on, I thought, oh, hang on a minute. I've- I've- something had happened to me yesterday that, that I thought, this could- you know what, there might be a bit in this. So I, so I thought when I'm wrapping up, I'm going to drop this bit in and we could clip it. If it goes well, we'll clip it up. You probably guess how, how well it went, given I'm- I've made myself blush. So teachers were on strike yesterday. So I took my... Right, this story is, as I found out last night, it is at best like a pleasant story. It's not, it's not remotely humorous. As I, as I found, it's why comedy's great because the feedback is instant. And I thought oh, I'm never saying that again. But I'm going to say it to you. So, teachers on strike took my uh, seven-year-old out. We went for a, a meal, had a day out, and then the the waitress. I just thought it was, it was so sweet. But the waitress comes over, takes the order, and then says, uh, "Do do any of you have any allergies?" And my seven-year-old, bless her, <laughs> said to the waitress, my daddy doesn't like cats. <laughs> right. Tim is not 
no, 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 no. I, I, I remember this, and it was lovely. I got, I got lots of R, R's. He got an R. He did. Oh God. But in the, anyway, in the restaurant, the the waitress was in hysterics, and I was still. Like the conversation moved on and my wife could tell that I was still laughing at the any allergies that my daddy doesn't like cats. And there and then I thought, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give that, I'm gonna give that a whirl. And I gave it a whirl last night and the the room just went, ah. And the voice in my head went, You can't fucking share that, mate. So <laughs> the lesson is not everything makes for a clip. Not everything makes for a clip, but look, it's lovely. It's very sweet. It was, it was, it was sweet, and uh, it will never see the light of day. Um, we, uh, my, as my blushing uh, ceases, we will bring, we'll bring on one of the absolute uh, greats. We know, we know you'll enjoy this. This is a beauty, and Ed, Ed Byrne is just uh, an incredible talent and a top dude. Here he is, the maestro, Ed Byrne. <laughs> Uh, right, we're joined by, I don't think you mind me saying this, joined by one of the, the absolute greats in uh, Ed Byrne. Ed Byrne, thank you very much for joining us. No, not at all, not at all. I feel like, uh, you know, I've, I'm more specked up than you are. I'm looking at you. You're not wearing headphones. Your microphone is nowhere in view. Yet here I am, headphoned up. I'm just gonna... big old condenser mic on the end of a, of a, of an, of a you know, of an arm. Because I'm very thin-skinned, I'm gonna. Uh, I'm just gonna come back and say. Ah, there it is. Oh yeah, and we're, ah, you do have one. And we're not, we're not messing around with that bad boy. So I'll, I'll tell you a little story. I was booked for a, a warm-up. The the show didn't happen. Uh, I still got paid, and I thought mm. I've got to use this money for good. And uh, I'm hot. That's why I'm holding that up like the trophy. That is a, that is actually a very impressive-looking microphone. I was wondering why you were sounding so good. And it's actually you've just managed to keep your microphone out of sight, so you're actually even more pro than I am. This is a, what a great advert for. Where are your headphones, though? I don't know. I like the. Uh, I've tried the headphones. I, ju I, I just prefer this. I, I mean, you know, I'd never make it as a radio one DJ because mm -hmm. I'm forty five. Um, now, Ed Byrne. Yeah. We've seen uh, a mere flavour of, of tragedy plus time, but what we've seen is. Absolutely extraordinary. I went for for breakfast with my wife this morning, and the sign of a the sign of great routines mm. is me boring my wife to tears <laughs> with someone else's gear. Uh, this this is, I know that with this show you 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 must feel like you've got the the world by the tail because this is a, this is an incredible show, isn't it? Well, I've done a I've, I've run it through in it in its in its full length uh, form only only four times at this point. And uh, it does feel like it could be something quite special. Uh, I, you know, the, the the response has been: we laughed, we cried, we laughed, we cried again, then we laughed some more, which is, you know, kind of what I'm going for. I've never done a show like that before. I've never had any interest in doing a comedy show with serious bits or a comedy show that makes people sad. Uh, but. This this wasn't really the show I wanted to write, but it is the show that I have written. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's been uh, it's 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 been an interesting one. I uh, it's it's called tragedy plus time. It comes from the fact that Mark Twain apparently, although I have been more and more I read about it, the more I think that he didn't actually say it, but Mark Twain apparently 
defines humor as tragedy plus time. And so I, I'm testing the theory by seeing if there's enough time, and at currently just about a year and a half between now and the tragedy of my little brother dying. So it is incredible. And I, you've seen the bones of the show. It is incredible how much humor can come out of the absolute worst moment of your life. But a lot of it has. A lot of a lot of very funny jokes have come out of it. I mean, I, right. Obviously, I, I cannot and must not burn any gear. And I'll, 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 when you said some really funny material has come out of it, and I laughed, which mm. I know is, is mm. obviously a, a terrible thing to do. But because mm. I, I was immediately reminded of one of my f- favorite jokes from this particular show. I've been chatting to a couple of people who he, who he directs or he, who he directed. Uh, I particularly found very useful talking to Sarah Keyworth the other night because I want to kind of, he never directed me. His thing was, you know, he was a comedy director and he, his, his main niche was that he would take somebody's 45 minutes of jokes and turn it, help them turn that into an hour long one person show. And I was just, I wanted to use aspects of what he would teach and, and, and have that be in the show that I'm doing as it were. So for instance, I thought, I asked her, is he, is he one of those people who had a rule that there had to be a 45 minute gut punch reveal or a serious moment? And if there was, then I would have to have that in the show. And she said, no, there was never a thing. His thing was simply, it doesn't matter how serious you get, there has to be a joke after it. So that's the sort of, you know, a rule that I've been taking to heart. That's, I did not know that you'd done that. What a, that, what a powerful thing. So you've used the people that he worked with and yeah. used that as an inspiration framework, call it whatever you like, a device. Yeah. Um, that's a, what a beautiful thing to do, Ed. Yeah, well, I just didn't want to, because I kind of had a, I, I thought he was one of those people who insisted that there be a 45 minute mark gut punch. So I was going to put one in and have a really emotional moment and then go, there you go, Paul, 45 minute emotional gut punch. That's for you. But he wasn't, he wasn't somebody who would insist upon that. So, but, and, and, and that was a funny joke that I had in there, but I took it out again because it wasn't true. So, but I'm using other, other things and other aspects of it instead so that I will, can still refer back and go, you know, that was for him. He would have wanted that sort of, sort of thing, you know? I, I mean, what we, what we've seen, this is this is like room shakingly funny stuff and all, but also as you've touched upon already really soul scraping stuff this is this is this is gear that stays with you however because of what you're talking about i mean you really are on that it's such a cliche but you're you're on that that high wire that tightrope did you know early on just how funny this show was no i'm very surprised and when i did the first uh when I did the first run through, when I did the first work in progress at Museum of Comedy, I fully expected to be looking at me watch at the end going, right, well, that's only 40 minutes. Uh, I got to think of another 20 minutes. And yeah, no, I was like a little over halfway through the show thinking I've only done 20 minutes. I looked at me watch and I'd done 40 and I knew I still had another good bit to go. So yeah, it came in at just over an hour and I was like, right, for the first time ever, I'm editing stuff out in June. <laughs> you know, that's... That I've never been 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 there in my in my Edinburgh Fringe cycle. It's usually I always say if I have forty five minutes of material by the end of June, I'm happy because then it'll it'll just magically become an hour by over the course of July and the previews in July. Whereas yeah, to an hour of funny 
and serious. I, it, now I can only improve upon it. So that's quite exciting, really. Now, anyone listening wanting to snap up tickets to Tragedy Plus Time, the artwork, by the way, glorious, the fractured mirror, fantastic. Uh, do I take it if they just go to edburn.com, check out all the dates? All that... the links will be there, yeah, yeah. So, I, I've, so... only, I've only got the first leg of the tour uh, booked. There will, there, will be, there will be more gigs uh, in, 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 the, in, in 2024. They're not, uh, they're not online yet. So, yeah, so don't go looking and going, oh, you don't seem to be coming to South Wales or you don't seem to be coming to... Yeah, I'll get there, I'll be there, but it'll be next year. Superb. And, and we've, we've name-dropped Guildford... Oh yeah, Guildford, Wednesday the sixth of September. Yeah, not G Live though. It's a different place. It's a smaller venue this time. They had their chance, Ed. Yeah, <laughs> they had their chance and they blew it. Uh, Ed, I've got, I've got to ask, what is now? Uh, uh, not just in comedy, but in I mean, I suppose all walks of life. People are people are, are, are hot for maybe a year, maybe two years. You know, maybe if they're lucky, two years. You have you have been <laughs> never a, a t- hot. No. <laughs> I was oh, hot. I, yo, do you know what? I was hot around ninety eight, ninety nine. I was pretty hot around ninety eight, ninety nine. Well, I, I was. I was actually. I was actually going to say, what, what's the secret to longevity? Because you, you are someone who's had this stellar career for what tw- more than twenty five years. You know. Um, I'll be honest with you. I've had a second wind around about two thousand and five. Things sort of took off again. I, I was doing, you know, very well. I was consistently from the. Time I started, to, you know, from like open mic time, I w- I did go on a fairly swift trajectory, uh, and then I doing bits of telly in the sort of late mid mid to late nineties, uh, and you know I think well, I got nominated for the Perrier in ninety eight, nominated for a British Comedy Award in ninety nine, I think it was, you know, Royal Variety performance, did a bad sitcom, you know. So around about the turn of the millennium, I kind of took my foot off the gas. I was doing an ad. I was the Carphone Warehouse guy, and that was paying the bills. And I just started to coast a bit. And then the phone stopped ringing. And around about, I'd say probably about 2002, 2003, I was probably at my lowest ebb. And then I went to, the, I, went, I remember I went to the Fringe. I did a play in 2003. And it made me really want to go back to the fringe with a one man show. And I went back in 2004 with a one man show and I got the worst reviews I've had since I became a comedian. I didn't think it was, I thought it was fine, but I think there was some, I think there was, I don't know. I felt like, I felt like there was a a press backlash. It was the first time I'd done it since I'd become a, a guy from an ad. And I think there was a certain level of, I don't know. Anyway, I did not get great reviews that year. And, uh, um, and yeah, and I just I say just very little. And then, and then I went back again the following year with a much better show, which was called uh, Standing Up and Falling Down. And then I just sort of every show after that was I, I, I think the next one after that was Different Class. And that was like one of the best ones I'd written in a long time. And then I'd also by that point started doing Mock the Week, which yielded Have I Got News For You, which yielded would I like, you know, I did, I started doing various things on, on BBC One that I hadn't done before. And so it's sudden, a Graham Norton show then. So yeah, I, I, the, my career took off again in the mid noughties, mid Yeah. It, uh, and, and, and then peaked probably around about 2008 and has now 
been sliding again. <laughs> so I'm really looking for a third act now. I was just, I mean, you know, the way you said, you said that all very matter of factly, you know, it all came from the heart, but like, there's a running gag that I'm like the mouse from Dumbo. I, I, I'm always like, mm-hmm. you know, making people, no, no, Ed. But I would have, if you'd asked, my, my question was because I just see you as someone who for 25 years is top of the game. Yeah, no, def- definitely in the early noughties. I, uh, I mean, partly I just lost my new comedian smell. That's, that's the thing is that you do, when you're new, just simply being new on its own, is a factor in your success. People are go, oh, this, this, is, this new person is interesting and they start putting you on stuff. But, and then once you've been around for a few years, you're no longer competing with the other new people. You're now, you now have to be as good as everybody else working yeah. in comedy. Yeah. And that's, I, I think that I, when I made that, you know, I never, I didn't make that transition. I, it, cause it, I, as I say, I think it also coincided with the fact that I, I did start to coach, and it also, my jokes have always been about what's going on in my life. And I, there was nothing really going on. I was just sitting around my family size house that I lived in on my own, <laughs> that, 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 that comedy and advertising had bought me. And uh, yeah, it didn't. Uh, and it was then when I, you know, sort of got married, settled down, had kids. I had, I just had a life to, 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 to talk about that was, that, you know, that was more relatable and, and I started just generating more material, I guess. Uh, do, do you feel, I've heard, I've heard, I think it was Dana Carby talk about this, that if, if you did an ad, say back in the nineties or early noughties, it was, it was almost like, um, you, you were sort of shunned for it. Whereas now getting an ad, people are like, oh, well, you know, well done. It's almost like, it's almost like, um, it, it's seen as such an, an amazing thing. Do, do you think, any criticism or backlash? Do you, think, do you feel that was harsh now when you look back? No, because I don't even think there was a massive amount of criticism or but I don't think there was a lot of sort of the ticket buying public that went, well, I'm not going to go and see him now because he's advertising mobile phones because I don't even think mobile phones necessarily are, are a massive evil. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I just think, uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Although I was never, here's the thing. If Mark Thomas did an ad, I'd be disappointed in him. Do you know what I mean? I think it's, I don't mind if, if somebody like me does an ad. I think if I, if Michael McIntyre or John Bishop does an ad, it wouldn't bother me. Uh, It's only, you know, I've seen Harry Enfield do ads. I I don't think of that as a a big deal. If somebody of them who's more political in nature was to do an ad, you'd kind of be like, no, that doesn't. That doesn't sit well. It's like Bill Hicks, you know, used to do a routine about being asked yeah. to do ads, you know. I think I do. And after I've been trying to dismantle the uh, industri- military industrial complex, I like to slake my thirst with it. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 I think you'd have to be quite a narrow niche to be the sort of person who enjoyed my comedy and yet was disappointed that somebody like me had done an ad. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. But I mean, I mean, you mentioned that you mentioned the sitcom there with 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 uh, Davina. Davina, yeah. But she's the two of you. You had like a lovely. You, you, you I, if memory serves, you had a really lovely rapport with Dina. We, yeah. That, and I remember that being something that was mentioned in uh, in in reviews, chemistry, and that. Yeah, and we got on great, and we're still in contact to this day. And we love it when we run into each other. And she was lovely, and it was just, it was one of those shows that it just didn't 
work, you know, as, 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 as a sitcom. It just didn't, whatever it was, it didn't hold together. And then I went and did another one in Ireland that was even worse, but which for some, but like the, the studio audience laughed at it. When I read the script, I thought, no, this is funny. Having already done one sitcom that hadn't gone well, I was kind of, you know, I was fairly gun shy about it. Still thought it was good. And, and then, and then I, I like, I watched the first episode with my family going, this is going to be good. This is, and then even then, like 10 minutes in, I'm going, oh my God, this is not good. And, and that was, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happens. I, I, I have greater respect for things that are good now than I used to, because there just seems to be so much that can go wrong that even right up until the last moment, you think something is good and then find that it's not. What What is that about? Right, a, fr a friend of mine, I think you'll know them as well, they produced a sitcom and they said in the room, the studio audience, it was like the the roof had come off. Yeah. And then it goes on the telly mm. and they have the exact same thing, mm. sat on the sofa with the family. And then as they're watching it, they're thinking, uh-oh. And then the reviews come out and it's even more, uh-oh. Yeah. What, what, is, what is that all about? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very hard to analyse it without sounding like I'm blaming anybody in particular. But the, the fact is that sometimes things can work, with, particularly with that sort of multi-camera sitcom thing, which is, even now, a very tricky thing to get right because it is a weird, uh, it is a it is a weird hybrid. It's, it's it's mad that we're even still doing it this way in that it is a play on the telly and it's such a weird hybrid. The fact that there's a live audience, the fact that the 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 actors are performing it as if it's a play, you know, in a world post The Office, post every other single camera sitcom where it just looks more like a movie and it just, I mean, it, there's a reason why we prefer things like the directorists and stuff like that. It just works better, doesn't it? Yeah. And uh, so, so when you take something like that and you've got an editors, you've got a director and make sure, cause it can just be that what the audience are all sitting there seeing when they're watching what is as essentially for them is, is basically a play. It may be that the camera just wasn't in the right position at the right time. And it didn't quite capture that reaction or that look. And then when it edits together, the timing of the edit somehow manages to suck things out of it. And you can just, yeah, we, it, you can just fail to capture whatever it was was going on in that room. You can sometimes just not get captured in, in, uh, in the edit. So it's all of these things are out with your control as well, which is, that's the other thing. That's the, that's the reason I also, that's why I love stand up as much as I do, because I don't have to wait for the reviews to come out. I don't have to watch it back with somebody else. I can tell right there at the time while I'm doing it, whether or not it's working. Yeah, for sure. Now, what, one thing that unites Ed and myself is our love of the band Pearl Jam. Ed, before this mm -hmm. chat, I'm sure was thinking, when's fucking Pearl Jam going to come up? <laughs> now, if, if your career is like Pearl Jam's, Ed, Ed you, you know, you, you get you get better and better live as each year goes on. Now, if Pearl, if one of Pearl Jam's early hits was where am I going with this? Was say Alive or Jeremy or even Flo. Uh, one of your early hits that went viral before viral was a thing was the ironic routine. Sure. Now, now what were I was talking about? I think it was Andy Hamilton. I was saying how the uh, the John McEnroe sketch on Not the Nile Can't Use went oh, yeah. viral before viral was a thing. Yeah. But, and you you had that with the Alanis thing. What what was what was that like? Because that that became a a real signature piece, didn't yes. it? I, well, I think I, I, 
I also had to do it several times. On, but I think I did it on a bunch of different things over uh, that. Then all I think got broadcast over the same weekend. It was, it was on the stand-up show. With the stand-up show, I only got like a million viewers. So it was also on something else. I did it at Just for Laughs. In I think I, I saw it Just for Laughs. Yeah, I think I did it on Just for Laughs. So it was on. I think it was on Jack D's Full Mountie. It might have been was the TV show. Over, right. I think. Um, so it did. It took a couple of hits with it to to for, for it to get out there, um, and it was not like other people hadn't had the same observation. I think the the reason that even if I say so myself that that routine came out as well as it did was I had that album and I had played that album and enjoyed that album and the song Ironic, which is on that album, Jagged Little Pill, had not been released as a single yet. And I'd had arguments about that song with my friends <laughs> about it not being ironic. So I had been having the conversation and sort of making jokes about it in a social circle and and laughing about it and and we were you know we basically i basically wrote the routine before the song even got released as a single but it was useless you can't what's the point in having a funny joke about an album track and then when it came out as a single i was like oh it, i had it like oven ready you know <laughs> so you know, i was straight away and then it became a really massive song that i thought oh, i'll get six months out of this and then the song will be gone but that song is like like if comedy had a longer shelf life, I could still do that routine today. Like that song is a well-known song that has hung around and I could quote it now and people would get would get it. So it's, uh, I was just, I mean, I, you know, I was just lucky that the song became as ubiquitous as it did. Uh, so, but that's, that's, that's kind of, that's what happened with that one. Yeah. Did, did Alanis ever reach out? Was there ever any sort of contact? No, no, I don't. I, we actually, we shared a bill once. I feel it was a very bad move. I actually went on after at a, at a thing in Belfast. It was some big, it was at some big TV spectacular uh, that was a mixture of music and comedy. And uh, I remember Bob Geldof was on. I remember uh, she was on and I went on. I remember the Divine Comedy were on, but I, 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 they had me go on after to just do my Alanis Morissette routine. And it was a weird thing. And it actually worked strangely well because in front of that crowd, trying to do stand-up comedy in front of that crowd was going to be difficult anyway because it was a music crowd. There was a lot of people standing up at an outdoor gig. But there was something slightly almost like doing a sketch. The fact that Alanis Morissette had just been on and people did know me in Ireland, in Belfast, you know, as the guy who does the Alanis set routine. So to just go on and just do it, even in a sort of by rote kind of way, I, in a funny way, did 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 sort of work. Absolutely. But that's the closest I came, yeah. I, I do seem to remember somebody, I think, might have been Mark Goodyear, was interviewing Madonna. And Alanis set was on her Maverick label. And they said to her, you know, there's a comedian here does a routine about that ironic song. She says, yeah, I'm aware of that in a very frosty way. <laughs> oh, no, because she strikes me. She strikes me as a really funny dude. Wait, Madonna? No, no, no. No, no, no. Uh, it's Madonna who said that, though. Oh, yeah, Madonna, I, oh my Madonna God. said it. Yeah. Right. I see. Um, I, oh, uh, God. I, I have to admit, I do look back on it now and I do think that the, the stuff about the song is fine, but there's a kind of a preamble to it where I just sort of slag off Alanis Morissette for being a really moany woman. And I call her like a moaning cow and a whingy man. And, and I, I, don't, I look back at that now and go, that's a bit too harsh. Sure. 
it's just yeah i don't i don't i don't like it as much now when i've read that I, that i would have lost i would lose that now if i was writing it today uh in the in the ladsy 90s it was perfectly all right to talk this way uh and then now i look back and i go that that it didn't need that i could have just launched straight in i just and I feel like if I was Lance Morissette, I would have switched off at that point before I'd even gotten to the, the, to the lyrics. Fair. Know? Yeah. So if you're doing it now, you'd nip that bit out and just get straight into the... Yeah. Straight into the... Because if, if I remember, just for Lance, when you start, when you start on it, because it's Canadian audience, yeah. I think there's like almost like a gasp. But then, but, but then as you're making your point, I seem to remember it's party time. Yeah. I always like that about, and I and I admire that in other comedians. When you take an idea that maybe the audience don't want to go with, but you just grind them down with logic and and, and repetition and jokes <laughs> and, I, and jokes. Yeah, exactly. I I I do I do quite like that. That's why you know I find a lot of the rhetoric around oh you can't say anything anymore. You I mean audiences have always been touchy about certain subjects. You know. It, it's not just about, you know, being cancelable or anything like that. You know, I mean, there's famously Jerry Sadowitz got punched out at the at the Just for Last Festival for opening with Hello Moose Fuckers. You know, I mean, when he said that, did everybody go, oh, God, you can't say anything anymore? You know, it's always been the case that it's you can offend an audience. Jim Jeffries got punched out 20 years ago on stage at the comedy store. It's always been a thing that audiences can get offended. It's just because... I feel like a lot of people are coming along these days having only been doing comedy a wet day and they watch people who've been doing it for 30, 40 years walk a tightrope and do really clever routines about very offensive subjects and then they come in and try and do it in a more sort of ham-fisted way and uh, no one's laughing. God, you can't say anything anymore. I, I, I just think it's, you need, you, you've, it's always been a, a challenge to convince an audience that the thing you're saying that they might actually vehemently disagree with still has, you can still convince them to listen to you and to laugh at it so long as you couch it in the right terms. And that's, that's the skill. What the listener can't see is me nodding so much. I've got RSI. Now you, you yourself, Ed, you are, you are, can you talk us through mm-hmm. Ed Byrne needs a hobby? Uh, yeah. That's a, that's a podcast that I've been making that is not yet available, but will be, will be soon. I'm having a chat to my podcast producer this afternoon. So the format of it is I go and I, I, I do my, cause I had a thing on YouTube during lockdown where I took people hill walking and interviewed them while I was hill walking. It was called adventures, adventuring it was called. Uh, and it was all right, but it was quite, it, it was quite a big ask of the guests. And I realized what I was doing was I was basically taking, I was basically making my guests do my hobby with me. (laughs) And what I should really do is go and do their hobby with them. So that's what I've been doing. I go, I do their hobby with them. And then I interview them about their hobby afterwards. And then I top and tail the whole thing with a conversation with my wife about whether or not such a hobby is right for me. So it opens with me chatting to Claire about who I'm going to be talking to and what we're going to be doing. And then it ends with, so here's how the interview went. And here's what I learned. And here's whether or not I'm going to take up that hobby. So that's the that's the format. So I've been cold water swimming with Reverend Kate Botley. I've been to a quiz night with Lucy Porter. Been to a poker night with Rialina. Uh, I've done some upcycling with Shappy Corsandi. Got a drum lesson from a wine, Wayne Evans. Uh, just chatted rugby 
with uh, with with Adam Hills. Um, hopefully, going to go play dart with Lee Mack soon. You know, so this is this is um, this is the this is what's happening. Hang on, this is a that's a brilliant format. Do you think? I I like to think so. You know. Oh, as you were talking, that I mean, you could see my like you know yeah. my, my faith that lit up. <laughs> that's a that's brilliant, and also. The, the 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 we've all got, we've all got a TV producer in our heads. The TV producer in my head was saying, "That's a that's a telly format as well, isn't it?" Ah, uh, yeah. But you know, telly will buy it, and then they'll get Johnny Vegas to do it. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> oh god. I heard a story. Uh, oh god, what's his name? The guy that's in Veep and Arrested Development. He's such a talented actor. He went up. I've got to find. I've got to find. I've got to find his name. Something Mc something. Yeah. Arrested. What's his name? Tony Hale. Tony Hale. No, not not something Mc something. <laughs> I got nothing right. Tony Hale. Yeah, yeah. Tony Hale said he once went for an audition, and it said, "This part requires someone who is Tony Hale esque." Ah. <laughs> and he did not get the part. <laughs> I uh. There's a friend of mine, a Canadian comic called John Wing, and he is the spitting image of Stephen King. He looks just like him. And he once went for an audition to play Stephen King, and he did not get it because he lost out to Stephen King. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is absolutely perfect. But who who made Stephen King audition to play Stephen King? Stephen King. We go, but let's keep John Wing in our back pocket in case Stephen King makes too many outrageous demands. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Stephen. You're not quite Stephen King enough for this no, role. No. Don't get all too big for your boots, Kingy. We got someone else. You're not the only Stephen King on the block. That's superb. Now, now before we get before we get to the, the fancy gig, there's there's a there's a, a a gag of yours, a recent gag. I think it was on the last ever episode of Mock the Week, where you basically say this program is coming to an end because people can't because some people can't take a fucking joke. Yeah, I, yeah. I, because, I think I think it was it was because the the BBC has been taken hostage by a bunch of Tory things that can't take a effing joke. Yeah, yeah. That was yes, the... thank thank you. I butchered a very good joke. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's fine. I was. The thing was, I was keen to say, use the phrase has been taken hostage by because it's not necessarily even the people who work there as much as the BBC now for quite a long time has been basically cutting bits off itself and trying trying to appease a, a certain sector of the community, the Daily Mail and, the, and its readership, as if it could do anything to satisfy them or make them happy, when the simple fact is it's not even about the BBC's output. It's its very existence is offensive to some people and there's nothing it can do to change that. People actually see it as a forced tax and therefore and a state broadcaster like akin to, you know, Korean television. And and, and that's and there's nothing they can do. They could have wall to wall Clarkson and it would and people would still just hate the very institution itself that was kind of what my, 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 what what no, yeah. my sort of point i was making but, yeah I mean, but I mean you know given given what's happening at the moment do you, do you think there's have, have you heard any whispers of it, of it being able to to come back lazarus like no i have not not heard a thing no um and i you know to be fair i think it i don't think it sh- it really ought i think it's it's better that something new come along. But that's what really annoys me is that 
they don't seem to be looking for something new to come along to replace it. They're just getting rid of it, all this stuff. You know, when they got rid of the MASH report, I feel like that was new enough that, that you know, fair enough. So Dave Dave picked that that one up. Um, but when they got rid of Mock the Week, I remember thinking to myself, well, you know, I guess they need the money to make Frankie Boyle's New World Order. And then they got rid of that. And I'm like, really? That That kind of surprised me that, you know, that they weren't continuing to make the 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 other one that was that was a bit newer you know they're just they just because i don't even think of it as being a particularly expensive um type of tv to make i i could be wrong maybe in comparison to reality tv i suppose it is but um yeah it 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 surprised me and slightly depressed me that that they didn't replace it with something of a similar ilk but newer and fresher. They've just gone, right, let's get rid of that. So I mean, if you, if you and I and every comedian, every person working in comedy, comedy fans, if we were to ask the TV gods the question, where is the new topical comedy stuff coming from? We would probably just get a, a shrug back, I guess, because it doesn't seem like it's hmm. on the and, cards. You know, and, and what is nice is that people do seem to be just starting to make these things online. And uh, I know it's a it's a very very crowded market now, the podcasting market. But there, it does seem to have become a viable model for a lot of people of just going right. We've just got something, and we're just going to do it. And and there's a lot of people making quite handsome livings out of just going straight to the consumer, as it were. And just it could well be that we just end up where TV just becomes where TV dies basically uh, because. You know the advertising money and all that is we just all just shifts to podcasting, and with with podcasting to a great extent there is still a certain amount of gatekeeping involved. There's still a certain amount of producers hiring, and there's still a certain amount of marketing budgets and and platforms deciding what to promote and things like that. But it is to a greater extent just more ratings driven. It's more a case of if you put something out there and people like it, it will be a success. And uh, and yeah, we, you know, it could it could end up that that the TV just isn't ends up not being how the, the way people consume their uh, certainly their their that kind of entertainment, that kind of comedy. I mean, it's even going that way. Sorry, I know we're going. We're, I'm, this is my fault. We're going off on a tangent here, but even from a point of view where, like, the Hollywood star back in the day would do chat show x chat, and so on these days mm. i think of like charlie's theron appeared yeah. on an american comedy podcast how did this get made yeah. and that was part of her pr tour yeah totally rather than doing whatever talk show she might yeah, exactly i mean that's you know i mean i mean if, if as a comedian you'd rather talk to other comedians anyway when you're when you're doing stuff like that so of course, you'd 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 rather do if you could do a podcast that that, that has as many listeners as the one show. Rather do a podcast with a comedian than try and do some stilted conversation on the one show, in between and now a report about a famine. You know, um, that obviously you'd rather do it, and you do. You, you listen to something like Smartless or Mark Maron's, uh, you know, WTF. Sure. You get Hollywood stars. Yeah, I would rather do a long form chat for an hour with these people that they know and that are that are that also practice the same craft that are also actors and they can have a much more in-depth conversation. And it's uh, and it's listened to by by just as many people as watch most of the chat shows now. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right now. Now, now, Ed. So, right. So 
Uh, Google Ed Burns Hall for, the, for those sword eights, and you, please mark our words. It is it is such a, a special show, and it, it's hysterical. But as, as Ed says, it's uh, it's a roller coaster, but in the greatest way possible. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Uh, if 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 you were to put together Ed, your what would be your dream, your your fantasy gig? Do you? I ask this as someone who has a lot of pre-gig rituals, practically performing the sign of a cross be- before I go on. Do mm. you have any pre-gig rituals? Uh, no, I have done it. I've I've got into a habit now uh, of basically if, when I'm on tour, uh, of trying to I go and do the sound check as early as I can, and then go and find uh, a nearby hostelry to go and have a drink in before the show. And I post that on the socials, my pre-show pint. Uh, and I, I don't even review it. I don't, I, don't, I don't like put any tasting notes about the beer or any, any notes about, about the bar. But I, wherever possible, I will tag the bar on whatever social media app. And I will tag the, the, the brewery of the beer I'm drinking. And certainly on Instagram, I was, that's all I was doing on Instagram. And I managed to get... Because the beer companies had start reposting it, and then beer nerds started following it, and so I ended up with like thirty thousand followers just by posting pictures of me holding various pints in various different locations. Are you joking? No, that's <laughs> most of my output on Instagram is just that, and um, so that became a thing. And maybe, maybe I'll start actually. Maybe I'll actually do a little short video on this tour where I actually taste the beer <laughs> and go idea. that's nice I, I, I don't but I don't want to start if something's not nice I don't want to start slagging it off and sometimes it's really it's just not possible to find a nice bar <laughs> there are just there's the odd town that I'll play on tour where if you want to go to a nice bar you have to go to another town <laughs> <laughs> How, I, I read uh, I remember reading Michael J Fox's autobiography lucky man this was yeah I read this years ago and he said that when he broke through with I think family ties mm-hmm. I think he'd I think he'd name checked a beer when he was on Johnny Carson or something. And then, of course, the next day, knock on the door and there's like crates full of this particular drink that he'd mentioned. Yeah. Have, you, have you had that sort of thing? Where I've had you... some free stuff, yeah. Uh, Beaver Town sent me uh, a Christmas uh, hamper because uh, I do drink their stuff a lot. And uh, I also got a, an advent calendar from uh, Adnum's beer as well. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, I have. I've had, uh, I've had some... I've had some stuff. Yeah, and uh, 
Oh, there was another one sent me a um oh Thatcher's Thatcher's yeah Thatcher cider sent me a, a crate of various different ciders because we we gave them a plug too. Well played. Now, yeah, I'm ha- I'll I'll take that. I'll take free shit. <laughs> oh god, mate, absolutely. Uh, the dream. Who would who who would M- yeah. who would MC your fantasy gig, Ed? Um, you know, what? I mean, it's not really exactly a fantasy because she does MC and she's really good at it. But I really like Sally Ann Hayward. I think I did uh, a, a, a bunch of gigs with her. She opens a lot for Sarah Millican. And uh, I worked with her as an MC. At, uh, we, we did a weekend of gigs in Guernsey. And uh, I just think she's great. She's absolutely filthy. Um, but she's also just really quick, uh, you know, with the with the whole crowd work thing, with the what do you do for a living, all that kind of stuff, which is just not, it's not really... I do a bit of it, but it's I, it's not really a string I have to my bow. I'll only I'll only ask questions of an audience member when I know I've got an answer in the chamber, no matter what they say. You know what I mean? So like I, I'll work with it, whatever they've got. But I always like to have a safety net of if this doesn't go well, if they don't give me something good, I know I've got something else I can go to. I can never just go completely winging it. What do you do? What's the who's this that you're here with? I just. Because I could, I don't know how long I could end up in a conversation for before I finally hit something funny. So she's, uh, she does manage to, to, to spin gold pretty quickly out of an audience in that way. So yeah, I enjoy her. And great MC energy as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then I watched her very, I watched her handle that one very well when a woman in the most patronizing way possible did that thing after the gig of going, Sometimes you get people who will go up to the MC and go, "What well, you should do stand up as well." <laughs> you know that thing. Oh but yeah. She, but she did. She she asked it in a way you could tell that what that that's what she was going to say. But she did it in a really kind of, "Why don't you have the balls to sort of get an act together yourself and do it like it was done in a real kind of wow." Yeah. What's wrong with you that you're not also doing stand up? You're easy, you're as funny as them. But it was it was it just it it managed to be said not in an encouraging way, but in a really kind of why haven't you thought of this, you dumb fuck? You should be doing stand up in a way that was just like and all of us were like, oh, we, you know, how, how did Sally on deal with it? Well, she, we all jumped on her. We all jumped on this woman goes, she is. She does. And then that was the funny thing was that the woman then couldn't back down. She goes, no, but, but why was it? No, that's, she just, she's just chosen that she's the best at it. There's four of us on the bill. She's the best at emceeing. So that's why she's emceeing and the rest of us are doing stand up. It, it, it just makes for a better show, but she absolutely does stand up. And then I don't, I, it felt like it was just one of those ones where you can't really, you can't really back down. You can't just admit that you've just, been wrong yeah. about something she was just like well i think it would have been good if she'd done it here kind of thing it's like well, jesus christ somehow she's somehow somebody still has to be wrong and it can't be me <laughs> sometimes best just to hold your hands up rather than keep doubling down you yeah know? I, I was in a new act competition for, i'm guessing 12 13 years ago and my, my mom had come to watch and andy andy osha won't mind me saying this because i told her story mm. much to her amusement andy osha was the you know, very special celebrity guest MC for this particular competition, but that was lost on my mom. And my mom said afterwards, uh, you know what, next year, that MC, she she should enter. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. To break it to my mom that things are going pretty well. For yeah. Thank you. You know, yeah. um, who would you who do you have open the the gig now? Um, I feel bad for anybody listening because I've had a lot of openers on tour over the years, and there's, but there's one guy I just always love, and I think is just such a solid opener. But John Fothergill is uh, is is one of my favorites, and because he has a line that works everywhere. It, well, it doesn't work absolutely everywhere, but it works surprisingly well in a surprisingly large amount of places, which is, for instance, we go on stage in Oxford and he'll go, I tell you what, I had a look around before the gig. I thought Oxford would be posh, but it's fucking not. <laughs> and the place would go, ah. And it is stunning how many places that works in. Even places that aren't even that, the only places it doesn't work would be on in the poshest places on. So only maybe in Harrogate or um, I'm Tunbridge Wells, like they'd probably be the only two places in the country where you'd where where it just doesn't work. And then it wouldn't work in maybe Grimsby or Corby or a few places like that where it just it would. But even, you know, but Cambridge, you, most places, Norwich, even most places, just even that are just standard, they you know they have an idea that people think that they are posher than they are, and they love being accused of not being as posh as they are, and it's a really curious thing that he it's, and it's like a, a, he just cracks so many audiences with that one line. I maybe maybe he'll be annoyed at me now that I've you know I've 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 pulled back that little. You know, Such a great does. line, but it is incredible how often it works. And he has a bunch of ones that just, you know, to just work unfailingly. Uh, so yeah, I think he'd be. He's a great. Uh, he's a great opener. The, I think you know a lot of the listeners are thinking about their hometown. So I'm from Leeds, and I know for a fact that would go down a storm in Leeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, that, exactly. Because it's got know. a rep. It's like it's quite arty and it's quite funky and all that kind of thing. But yeah. Thought it'd be posh, but it's fucking not. Absolutely perfect. Now, because I, I know some of the dudes that. Oh, mate! I mean, they, I've got to say, what a champion of of, of comedy you are. You know, because so, some acts who've been going, uh, you know, 20, 30 years, they de- they don't like the people coming through. You know, you hear them being disparaging. Whereas, I've seen you do this firsthand. I've seen you. I've seen you do this twice. At Always be comedy. You've seen an act, a newer act. They've had a really good gig and you've gone, would you like to do some tour support? And for that act, you've just, you've just, you've made their year. Well, yeah, because I, yeah, that's right. Because I, I, I did with Kieran when he, when I worked with him there. Yeah, I gave him some gigs that, that, that Meyerhog couldn't do. And then I was on with Anya Magliano yeah. at your place. But that's because she had a line that was just great. She had this, she has this routine about, about the, 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 um, the shop Lush and the fact that apparently, if you go into Lush and you're sad, if you appear really depressed, apparently the 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 staff there are allowed to just give you little freebies. So she likes to go into Lush and pretend to. And she has a really funny routine. I'm not going to do it. I won't do it justice. But about you know pretending to be sad in Lush and and it worked really well. So I went on after her, and let's do my. I'm doing my stuff about so my brother died last year. I feel terrible. I miss him every day. But on the upside, I have been getting a lot of free shit in my local branch of Lush. So it worked great. So I did. I offered her the, t- the support for the whole tour just so I could do that joke. And she can't do it. Oh, no. 
She's busy. She's, no. I think she can only do like the last 20 dates. So, yeah. But that's, 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 I mean, that, um, that comes naturally, I take it to you being, being a, a cha- I think of, I think of someone like Harry Hill as well, just being a champion of uh, emerging comedians. I don't know about champion, but I just think, I think, I mean, it's, pure, it's probably, it's purely selfish, really. I just, I, I just like the idea that of finding a, an act and then being, you know, did something thing that would that goes well with my act, you know, that just compliments it. Because uh, I've been to see people thinking that they'll work well with me, and then go, oh, that's they're doing a, a bunch of they're they're doing too much of stuff that's the same subject. Maybe that's not going to work, you know. Also, it's nice when I go to places like yours because that's when I meet people. Because most people I meet, they're already at a stage where, you know. I don't realize how famous they are. They're actually really insulted if I ask them to come and open for me because they're like, you know, I've I've been on telly. I go, oh fuck, no, I, I didn't. I didn't realize it. Uh, Romesh, what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, right, perfect, wonderful. Mm. Who who uh, go for a break? Come back. Who's in yeah. the middle? Who's in the middle? Okay, so this act is a headliner act. Yeah, she is not a she's not a middler, but I want to have her on as a middle. Uh, there's an American comedian called Wendy Liebman who's an absolute king of the one-liners. She's, uh, she's, yeah, she's, a, she's a, again, absolutely unfailing killer. She has a lot of great lines like, uh, you know, I, I think I'm wearing, I'm, I'm, I'm trying a, a new makeup. Uh, do, do you like it? And she holds her wrist out and she puts the microphone to her wrist. <laughs> as if, as if that would make, I don't know, I just think that's really funny. She goes, I think I put too much on. I put on a whole magazine, but I, um, <laughs> She's a great act. She's a great act, Wendy Liebman, and and exactly, and and she's just, it's full of it's full of one liners. But the reason I wanted a middle for me is because we did a show together. We did Just for Laughs Bermuda, what? Which yeah, Just for Laughs has had a, a mini festival in Bermuda that really wasn't really a festival. It was basically a corporate gig over the course of a weekend. We were on. I think we did four shows over three nights. I think it was, and. It was uh, there was there was an MC and and four acts yeah and uh, I I was on I was on after a guy called Jerry D a Canadian act I was on closing the first half and she was on opening the second half uh, in in the slot that is you know deridedly and misogynistically referred to as the chick slot because it's the easiest slot and it's you know the first first half of the interval is just the easiest slot on the on the bill because the audience are warmed up but they're refreshed and all this kind of thing and I was closing the first half and on the first night of the tour I ju- I treated it like a festival gig when I should have been treating it like a corporate gig and I didn't quite do the right set whatever it it just didn't hit it was all right but I wasn't great. And then she went on, obviously, and absolutely fucking slayed. And so we changed it around. I was the only non-North American on the bill, and I, I just didn't have a wonderful set. So we put me in, in, the, in, the, in that slot, and we put her closing the first half. And, uh, and then I got me, I understood what I was doing, and I changed my set up, and I killed, and it was great, and it was lovely. And then I, and obviously everyone else was killing as well, but I just went up and said, look, um, thanks very much for, for swapping with me. If, if I, now that I know what I'm doing at this gig, now I know how to play this gig. If, if you want to swap back, that's fine. If you want to stay where you are, that's fine with me. But if you want to swap back, because I felt like I, I had taken the easier slot. It, it is the easier slot in the gig. It's an easier place to kill. So I just was offering it back to her if she wanted it. 
And I don't know, she could have been a dick about it. Do you know what I mean? She absolutely could have been. If she was a different type of person, she could have been patronizing. She could have been an arsehole. But she just turned to me and she goes, do you know what, Ed? I am just really enjoying watching you kill in that slot. The nicest way of saying, let's just keep it as it is, you know? And I, you, you are fucking gent. <laughs> you are a, you are a fucking solid individual, you know. And I just, so she just, she just a lovely person and an amazing comedian. Uh, but I'd also now just want to put her in the fucking middle slot and have me headline because I. Just... <laughs> what, what a classy way of doing it! Yeah, yeah, she was just class all the way. Yeah. Um, has Wendy done the, you know, the, in the US, the, there are those slots that there's, I mean, Conan's not done it for a while, I suppose, but, but there's, there's Colbert, there's Kimmel. Would you see Wendy on those sites, you know, taking those types of... Uh... Was, I mean, if you just look her up on YouTube, I'm sure there's plenty of stand-up that you'll see. And, uh, and she is, uh, she's one of those, she, do, she does the bottom, you know, the, she does the thing where she'll do a line and they go, but I, you know, think of, as, if, as if they're starting the next joke while you're laughing at the first one. She does a <laughs> lot of that, but she doesn't, she, she's almost over the top with it. Uh, just, just add something to, to, to every punchline. Yeah. Oh my God. So I, I've, I've got Wendy Lieben there. This is, this is an absolute, this is an actual icon of comedy. She's been going from. Oh, I mean, she'd been going a long time when I started. Yeah. From way back. So I think she. Oh yeah, I very much, no, as I say, she's very much a headliner act, uh, but I just, uh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stick her in the middle. Yeah, she's even, she even did Carson uh, 91. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. Right, okay, absolutely superb. So who- I'm gonna, I'm stick, My point is I'm sticking her in the middle because I know her ego can take it. <laughs> yeah, and she'd be, very, she'd be very classy with it. Yeah. And also at the gig, I mean, you, you just said it there yourself, but what you want people that are nice to hang out with as well, don't you? Yeah, yes, that's also crucial, I think, crucial. So what, what, so what happened with Just For Laughs Bermuda in, in, in terms of it, being more like a corporate rather than a, a festival, if you like. Um, it, it's just, I mean, they do them all over the place. It was just for laugh Singapore. There was, yeah, you know, it, it's more just, uh, you know, they get, they, you know, I think whoever put it on the hotel that put it on just pays them money to do it. It's not a, it's oh, not I a see. career gig. It's not like a showcase gig. It's literally, that's, that's how Just for Laughs builds its. That's yes. why Just for Laughs builds its name with the with with the, with the big festivals is that they then, you know, get to franchise it as a, in, in, as a smaller thing elsewhere. It's just a little profit making thing, I guess. I did not know that. So it's a it's a a, a brand building franchise yeah. using. It's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tim, write write down always be comedy Bermuda. <laughs> so who who closes the gig, Ed? I, I think it's got to be Chris Rock. But he's got to be doing greatest hits. <laughs> Mate. Yeah. I, I, so what I, I used to, I used to work at a working man's club in Leeds. Mm -hmm. I would come home and Sky would show Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. And the era was Chris Rock, Adam Sandler, Mike Myers, Dana Carvey. And that was my gateway drug into all those guys. So what, the reason why my jaw hit the floor when you said Chris Rock, and when you said greatest hits, that that mm -hmm. uh, yes to that as well. Around that time, and then he comes back with uh, like Roll with the New and and yeah, 
I mean, there, there was a time for two or three specials where he was he was probably the number one on the planet, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He did a bunch. Was it? I'm not sure. Was it Never Scared or? Yeah, there's there's one where the the album is the same show as the T as the HBO special, but the album is given a different name to the HBO special, and then the one after that I think is bigger and blacker, which is incredible as well. Um, which which one had the iconic routine about the the the, the civil war in, with, with black people? Okay, yeah. So to, in the spirit of transparency, we we, we've had a, we we have had a quick Google. So that that particular civil war war routine. So yes. The HBO special was called one thing and the album was called another. What was the HBO is, special called? The HBO special is called Bring the Pain. Bring the Pain, that's right, yeah. And the album is called Roll with the New. Right, okay. Because I remember I remember sitting another comedian down to watch Bring the Pain. And, and then, because uh, that was my really, uh, that was the first special I saw of Chris Rock. Uh, and this guy had seen Chris Rock before in a more in a in a much earlier you know uh, Def Jam iteration and hadn't been impressed. And I went no, and he was so he was again he was like no, I, I, and I, he didn't want to watch it basically. And then at the end of it was like oh yeah, that's you're right, that is quite really quite something special, isn't it? Yeah, that 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 whole that whole special is great, but that that routine in the middle. Um, of the, of the of the what he calls there's a civil war going on for for black people right now because because we you know it, it's amazing and it's it's educational as it were you know it's a it's it's a phenomenal routine and I've I, I'm so I've been such a Chris Rock fan for such a long time since my teenage years so I've listened to a lot of interviews with him and he 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 had a line you you can get. You can never be discovered too late. You can be discovered too soon. Mm. And I think he felt he'd been spotted as a teenager. I think Eddie Murphy was in the crowd. Right. Chris Rock tells the routine. It's uh, tells the story himself. It's pitch black in this comedy night. He does this particular joke, and then he hears the trademark Eddie Murphy laugh. <laughs> right. And yeah. he thinks, right, that's interesting. And then I think Eddie Murphy puts him in. I think Beverly Hills Cop two i think so okay. this is this is a long long time ago and so chris rock gets quite famous and i think he's quite philosophical about it now he was a different sort of comedian then and then he sort of has to go away for a bit and then this particular special he comes back with that and it's mm -hmm. the person that you're talking about there who had that certain opinion yeah. i imagine wasn't alone yeah and he yeah comes yeah. back and he has this almost like preacher style he was a lot he's, yeah. one of his early specials he's actually quite softly spoken in, by comparison right and then when he comes back, this the the energy and the charisma and he the prowling of the stage. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. interesting as well how many times I've watched Chris Rock and found I've had to drop lines or change lines from my own show, and I wouldn't have expected to have to do that. You know the fact that he's the fact that he's a black American who's ten years older than me, and yet there's overlap in a way. Where going, oh, right. I'm going to have to change that. I'm going to have to change that. Like it's happened to me a couple of times watching his specials. There was one particularly to do with lying to kids about you can be anything you want to be. And, and I, and I had a thing in a, a, about that. And I also had a thing, the, even the exact term of failing upwards in reference to Donald Trump and, and then watching him say the exact same thing. I go, Oh shit, I'm going to have to change that. You know? So yeah, it's interesting. The overlap I, I end up, having with him but obviously once he said it i gotta 
I'm the one who has to drop it. Obviously, I'm not writing to him going, bad news, Chris, but I'm afraid I got there first on that particular phraseology. <laughs> if you don't mind dropping it, Chris, we'll, uh, yeah. we'll I won't have to get the legal team involved. Yeah. Uh, have you have you ever seen him live? I have, yeah. I've saw I saw him at the Comedy Cellar in uh, in New York many many years ago, uh, just trying out new material. And it, the balls on him, like he is someone who will go in with nothing. Like I've seen people. I saw Ray Romano, you know, trying new material in the same place, but he had a notepad and he would try a joke, and if it wouldn't work, he'd do a little apology, kind of. Well, that one didn't work, kind of thing. Whereas Chris Rock just went on and just riffed and was properly and, and was happy to not be funny for ages while he was just working through it and the audience were just like yep we'll be here for you while you try and make this vague idea funny i mean i just can't do that but he just had the absolute balls to just go right we'll get there eventually and if this isn't funny here I, i'll learn, i'll just use this and then the next place it'll be slightly funnier but it was like really really early on in the writing process where he was just standing there at times, just going, women, what do you want? What do you want? So I'm going, I don't know, mate, come on, give us something. <laughs> so so he, was, it, was he going on with literally nothing or did he, did he have like a bullet point in his mind? I, I, I don't know what he had in his mind, but I, I'm I've never seen anyone absolutely just try and just see what was going to come to him in the moment on a particular subject like I was just watching him do. That is extraordinary. Yeah. So he's backed himself to go on there with with nothing in the hope that something will come. That live in real time, something lands yeah. in his head. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't time. all like that. You know, and as I say, he he did like forty minutes, but there was a whole stretch in the middle. Yeah, where he was just well. Let's just see where where this goes. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Have you have you ever have you ever met him? Um. No. No, I've sort of stood next to him, but that's about it. I went to see Patton Oswalt when he was in the Soho Theatre once, and I think it was around the time, I think Madagascar, they were him, Chris Rock, and, um, oh, what's his head? Schwimmer. No, Meet the Parents. What's his name? Oh, Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller, sorry. We're in town to promote Madagascar 2, so they popped along to just sprinkle some showbiz dust on Patton Oswalt's run at the Soho Theatre. So, oh but I God. didn't actually, I didn't actually say hello. <laughs> Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Ed, has there been has there been a lovely moment from a gig that you would love to be able to somehow replicate at this gig? Yeah, I'll tell you what. It's very hard to tell this story without sounding incredibly conceited. <laughs> but um, my last open mic spot as a comedian was like a scene from a movie about a guy who wants to be a comedian. My um, last the last time I did an open mic slot was at Jonglers Camden. Now, back in 95, this would have been 90, 94, early 95, I think. Yeah. Uh, Jonglers and the Comedy Store were the two big ones to play. They were the ones to, to, to crack. And Jonglers particularly, there was, there was three 
there was I think it was still only two clubs at the time. There was Camden Jonglers and Battersea Jonglers. And they were the top of the tree. And people who were on TV were, were still playing Jonglers. Um, and it was the one that was notoriously difficult to get into, yet they made you do quite a lot of open spots before you, before you got on. But I think this was my third time doing an open spot at a Jonglers. And the first two had gone great. And this is the third one. And I went on, I did, a, I had, you know, I, I had a five minute spot that was just bulletproof. I did it. And I went off and the audience were cheering and cheering. And right when I, this was then relayed to me afterwards, but just after I came off, uh, John, the, 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 the owner of the club had phoned up and was on the phone to the venue manager who was standing at the box office uh, by the front door and was asked, I don't know what he was asking about, but he phoned about something else. And then he said, how did the open spot go tonight? And the guy just at that moment went, well, here, listen for yourself. And said, said to the the doors to open the door so they opened the door into the into the room and he held up the phone as the audience were chanting we want ed we want ed we want ed it literally it was like something out of eight mile or something it was incredible like i mean I, I, the fact that i came off after doing an open spot and the the MC, I think it was, it, I think it was, it was Tim Clark. Just basically had to calm the audience down, and he's going, All right, "Okay, let's have another cheer from. Let's just have one more cheer from." But he was just doing an open spot, and he's, "That's it." But let's have another. And then they started chanting, "We want Ed. We want." I mean, that on its own was like I couldn't believe they were doing that. That that was happening. That was amazing. But to have it turn out that at that very moment, the the the, the owner of the club was listening via phone, and so apparently that and the guy went, "That's that's how he did," and he just said, "Well, I guess we better put him." straight on the 20s at the weekend then and so, oh, after that, so I, yeah my god and all but also if you were to make a movie about yeah. stand-up comedy and you put that scene in it the whole comedy community would go what that would never happen what would yeah. yeah what a fantasy that is yeah. yes absolute <laughs> horseshit yeah whoever wrote this knows nothing about comedy <laughs> oh my god yeah yeah and that was back in the day when cracking a particular comedy club was a great achievement. <laughs> now, now it's hitting a million views for your latest uh, missive. What were the what? How were the other acts on the bill? Um, I think Simon Bly had to follow me, and he um, was was uh, again. He was he was uh, perfectly very. He was very big about it. He was absolutely fine. He didn't. He didn't. You know, just how it went. You know. Because uh, he did fine. That's the thing. I mean, it's not like anybody had struggled to follow me, but it just created a bit of a speed bump in the middle of it. That's the thing about you, you don't. It's almost like you don't want an open micer. You you don't want them to die because that creates a weird atmosphere in the in yeah. the room. But you don't want them to fucking storm it either. You know. What was that? Was that the moment where you thought, "Oh, okay, I might actually." Oh yeah. I mean, that whole there. night then. And then I went out that night that night with uh, Jeff Green and his girlfriend at the time. You know, Jeff Green was somebody who I had watched open for Lee Evans at my student union two years previously. So he was somebody who I was a fan of. And so I just felt like I was now part of this firmament that I had been watching from the outside up until this point. 
Now that I can only imagine what that must have been like, because as a as a teenage comedy fan, uh, Jeff. When I first saw Jeff Green, I mean, he had that. Um, there was that air of. I don't think this. I mean, this is a good way. There's that air of danger about him almost, wasn't there? You know, he had that. He had that almost anti-hero vibe. He was, he was, he was really big. And but then went, he went to Australia. He did, yeah, yeah. He did. He went. To, he went. He went to Australia. But he also, I mean, I, I think he kind of had a gutful here at that point, anyway. You know, um, and uh, so I think he was just happy to just to just bow out. Um, I think the last thing he did was absolutely storm an episode of McIntyre's Roadshow and then just kind of went, that's it, boom, and he went, I'm off. Yeah. Good for Jeff. Yeah. Uh, now, is, is there, that, Ed, that's phenomenal. Is there, a, is there an incident that must not happen? Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, it's, uh, I'd say the, I mean, the worst, the worst moment of my, career that I would look back on that I wish I could erase uh, was I did a TV show it was the second time I ever did TV. And I said, I had five minutes prepared. It was daytime TV in Australia. It was a, their equivalent of like, now I was going to say Pebble Mill at one, but that's not going to resonate with anybody. The thing is, I'm of an age. I know exactly what you, yeah, Pebble Mill at one, my kind of reference. Uh, it was yeah this morning, I guess. Yeah, it, it was called Midday with Kerry Ann. And I had a four minute routine worked out that was clean and accessible and OK to do on daytime TV. But it was only my second time ever doing comedy on the telly. My first time having been like the week before. And I said to the woman who I identified as the floor manager, can you give me a wind up and let me know when I've done four minutes? And the long and the short of it was she did not do that. And I thought, having done the four minutes, uh, oh, my God, I've gone too fast and I've run out of material. So then I went into other material that I then realized two minutes in going, oh, I can't do this punchline. It's too rude. So then I had to pull out of that and go into something else, which I then realized I couldn't do because I hadn't done the joke that would normally go before it. I just flounder and then i desperately just started reaching and i did a joke that was actually nick wilty's because i was working with nick wilty at the time in australia and i just reached for one of his uh so i just basically just started nicking stuff right there in a way that i could not get away with like i'm in australia doing a show with him every night and i just do one of his jokes out of desperation God. It, I just, it is awful. And I only talk about this because I know there's no footage of it. They, it was one of those ones, it was in the days where they just didn't archive this kind of daytime live TV. But it turned out I had done eight minutes. Oh. So the four minutes had gone. And I and, and then I got the ones, I don't, and I literally stood there going, I don't know how long I've done. And then this woman stands up and does a wind up move. And it turns out I did eight and a half minutes, the longest stand up set on daytime TV history in Australia. And only half of it went well. And the other half, I just died, floundered, panicked. It was awful. Now, now oh, for, yeah. the, for, for the listener, you might be sitting there thinking, well, for four minutes went badly. That's not a long time. But the thing is, that four minutes is, while it's happening, is four years, isn't it? That's forever. It's forever. <laughs> yeah. It was the longest four minutes of my life. And indeed, the lives of the people watching it, I'm sure. Yeah. Are, you, are you doing that just to crew or is there an audience in? No, there was an audience. It was a, there was a, that's just it. There was a studio audience who just were not digging me at that point. Yeah. Yeah. What, did, did the floor manager ever say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. 
No, no. And to be honest, it was one of those ones where I, I don't know, I felt so dumb myself. And I, at the end of the day, I was the one who died. I was the one who didn't time myself. I was the one who didn't just think, well, you, you know, you, you should know how long you're doing. Um, so, no, I took responsibility <laughs> for it. Uh, but that's, that's just how that one went. Yeah. Did you did you get did you uh, get away with it? What oh no! I, and I'll tell you that was the other interesting thing. I think it was um, oh from Muriel's wedding. Tony Collette. Tony Collette was there. Muriel's wedding. She was. That was all that had come out at this point. Was to, was was Muriel's wedding. Tony Collette was there, and she had said to somebody, "Oh, is he Irish? I'm going to Ireland soon. I want to talk to him afterwards." about where to go and what to do when I'm in Ireland. And then I came off and I went, does Tony Collette still want to know what did? Oh no, she left. (laughs) 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 And you you went on so long and the stench of death was so powerful. She could not remain. also, Also, you're thinking, well, I don't think Tony Collette will ever amount to much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, oh no, she's become one of the greatest actors of a, of a generation. Yeah. Um, oh, I really hope you, I hope your paths, have your paths ever crossed again? No, we haven't. I have gone back and done that show again and, and done very well on it. So yeah, there is that. Oh, they completely forgot, I think they just forgot that it was me. It had, there had been enough time had passed. So yeah. I, lo- I love Tony Collette so much. I really hope there's a there's a booking where you and Tony get to uh, really <laughs> that. To discuss did, that. Yeah. Did you did you t- were you able to tell the story on the show when you went back on? No, no. I just went back on and did stand up. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. I just did it. Did, did but I just did four minutes. It was punchy. Boom. And it went and that was yeah. I didn't uh, I didn't really didn't really talk to. I just sort of snuck in. I didn't even want to tell anybody that you know you know I was the same guy who because then somebody would be like what. Because even though I'd done well that time, it'd be like somebody would still have gotten fired that I got back through, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that was uh, Nick Wilty. <laughs> uh, did, did I take it you got away with it. What I mean by that is it didn't, um, it, it didn't linger. No one recognised you from it. There was, not, there was no repercussions, I suppose. No, I don't think so. No, I don't. Yeah, I, I, looking back, I, I'm surprised I, I did get away with it. And I think it would have been harder to get away with it now. Oh, yeah. This this has generated some really weird and wonderful responses. How do you, how do you all mind after a gig? Well, it, I mean, it depends. Am I on tour or am I going home? See, that's the that's the diff, that's okay. We'll we'll go on tour first then. On tour, me and my tour manager will go and have a curry. That is that is the usual plan. We go and I usually at the end of every tour, I am roughly eighty percent Jalfrezi. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, and we and we keep a note of where the good places are and where the bad places are. But yeah, it's uh, we do that, and then we go back to either my room or his room, depending. It's usually my room, but sometimes he'll have gotten the bigger room due to some uh, oversight. <laughs> and uh, and we go back, and we 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 will we rewatch shows. So on the last tour, we did the Sopranos, and then we were most of the way through Breaking Bad. We rewatch shows we've already seen. Yeah, great. good quality drama. I think we'll probably do The Wire on the next tour will be the plan. So that's, 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 yeah, it doesn't sound very rock and roll, but that's, that's that, life on the road with us. 
I think most most listeners would hear that and go, "That sounds like heaven." Going for a curry and then watching The Wire. Yeah. Yes, please. While drinking, yeah, and then and then and then get up and do it all again the next day. Um, on at home, I come back to my house. I uh, either have a beer and a whiskey or have wine, depending on what my, I fancy at the time. And then I stick on whatever the TV show du jour is. Lately, I've been watching um, Yellowstone on Paramount Plus. Uh, that is my drug of choice. I'm on series five right now. I've been binging that this since I discovered it uh, just a couple of months ago. And I find that one quite a distracting one. I'm looking at what they're wearing most of the time, going, that looks hard wearing, yet slightly smart. <laughs> is it a good show? It's not brilliant, but it's good. I like it. There's a lot of quite gratuitous cowboying in it. I think my wife would like it if she was to watch it because there's a lot of horses in it and there's a lot of just running up and down and rodeo stuff and that kind of thing. There's just like it's, sometimes it feels like they've they've delivered the script and go, I think we're about five minutes light. So should we just put in a scene where people just throw lassoes at uh, bulls? <laughs> and they do. So there's just some scenes that are just cowboying. We gotta do some cowboying, and and there's a lot of, there's a lot of characters in there where you're like, okay, I get I get the sense you're an actual cowboy who is known in cowboy circles. Like, do you ever watch Billions? And you're like, oh, that person is clearly an actual billionaire because yes. they cannot act for shit, and they've just thrown them in. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like that. There's definitely some real cowboys in there. Uh, Ed, we we cannot thank you enough. Your generosity of time. Uh, a phenomenal comedian. Just, just thank you for everything. Not at all, mate. It's a great club. It's a lovely podcast. Thanks for having me back. What an absolute treat! Huge and heartfelt thanks to uh, one of the. I mean, you know, quite simply, one of the very best comedians of the past 30, 40, 50 years. The great Ed Byrne. Now, Tim, your favourite Ed Byrne memory? Well, it's a good one, if I may say so. <laughs> I'm happy with this one. Uh, this is from a few years ago, pre me at Always Be Comedy, if you can believe Hello. such a world. Um, so I used to book a gig in Surbiton, of all places, um, and I managed to book Ed Byrne for it. And nice. that was the first ever time I managed to book someone who I had been like a, a massive fan of growing up. Um Maybe this isn't as good as an anecdote to remember, actually. <laughs> uh, it just it felt very exciting. My parents came. It was, it felt like a real, quite a milestone, I'd say, in my job slash career. And I remember putting something about it on Twitter, I imagine. And you actually remember messaging me saying, that's a lovely feeling. And I was like, that James Gill was very nice. Oh, and the rest is history. The rest is history. What about you? So I warmed up a Lee Mack show called Duck Quacks Don't Echo. It was a Sky show. And uh, Ed was a guest on that. I'm go we must be going back eight years, I reckon. Mm. And he was just such a gentleman. Now, the thing that connects Ed and I, as mentioned, is the... Um, we have this mutual love of Pearl Jam. And I just remember chatting with Ed after the show, all about Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam. And I think, Tim, do you not, do you not think that if you 
in life, if you both, if if two people mutually not just love, but like like adore, almost have like this visceral connection with a band, that that's enough to be friends, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's a good starting point. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes sense. Absolutely. Because if if you and I love band X this much. The 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 our Venn diagrams are probably more similar than in in other areas as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd I mean, especially when you're both comedians. Sort of lost faith in that. <laughs> <laughs> that thing's nice. Well, because I've thought that for years about Ed and myself. Because we'll, we whenever we meet, we'll we'll always chat Pearl Jam or or, or Eddie Vedder and what have you. And then, as I was saying it out loud, I'm now questioning my own theory. It's just because two people love Blur, they could still loathe one another. <laughs> they could do. I'm going to Blur on Saturday, actually. And I reckon there's going to be some <laughs> coked up dads who I probably won't be friends with, actually. Yeah, this. I mean, that that is... Oh, what a shame that I've, my, my own theory is like, it's like vanished through my fingers like <laughs> sand. Um, where, is, that, is that at Wembley or at Tottenham? Wembley Stadium. Absolutely outstanding. Have you been to Wembley before? I have. Last time I went to Wembley Stadium was, I, I was looking up, it was 2009 to see ACDC, <laughs> weirdly. Do you not think it's, I think it's brilliant. I, I barely remember it. Um, we're very high up, I know that much. Um, but I've only recently got into like Blur, which is such an odd thing <laughs> in 2023. But yeah, I can't wait. Please talk us through that. How's that happen where you've just... that's Because that's a lovely thing to get. Because I, I found, listener, I don't know about you, I basically like the exact same music that I liked when I was 13 years old, and it hasn't <laughs> it hasn't really changed. It's still Pearl Jam, The Beastie Boys, Neil Young. I suppose I got, the, I got into The Beatles in my 20s, maybe. Uh, yeah, please talk us through that. Okay. So um, when I was... I'd say 15 through for the next 10 years or so, I was really into hardcore in front of, you know, you go to gigs and there's maybe a hundred view if you're lucky, if it's done well. Um, and then I don't know what it is. Maybe you just get older and you're just looking for a bit more melody or something. So you start to listen to, you know, softer sounds perhaps. Um, and last year I was very lucky to, be the tour manager of Jarvis Cocker's book tour. There's a yes. horrible net clang, but you no, know that's good. But it was good, and so in the pre-show music, there's a lot of, you know, Jarvis music, and I was like, hang on, this '90s <laughs> British indie stuff, it's fantastic. So I just ended up listening to a lot of. <laughs> I've become so basic. <laughs> My favorite bands are Blur and Oasis. I actually love them. That's nice. Or I'll say this: I'm not. I mean, I used to go to music gigs a lot, uh, but now with gigging pretty much every night, it just doesn't really happen. But when I was younger, I I had to stand at a gig, right? I always had to be at the front. Yeah. One time, someone had accidentally bought seated tickets, and I'm not joking. I could have burst into tears, right? And then I went to go see Pearl Jam for the umpteenth time with the comedian Dan Clark a couple of years ago at the O2, and we'd got these tickets. Uh, doesn't matter how we got them. I'm mean, making it sound like it was like some sort yeah, of good deal. Anyway, we were giving <laughs> we were giving these tickets. Lovely. We're both in our forties. When we got there and discovered that the, it was seated, 
the the middle aged relief yeah was off the charts and then also here's a sign of getting old we got the concert had been going for about two hours and we both said to each other tim don't ever become this person oh, no. said to each other if we leave now we'll beat the rush and that's your favorite band imagine doing that to your favorite band ever and we you know what don't regret it <laughs> no better not <laughs> Tube carriage to ourselves. Um, thank you very much as always, Tim. Thank you, my friend. Um, and we'll we'll see you next week for another absolute. Tim, next week is it? I think it is actually. Yeah. Oh. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll really? see you next week. Cheers, dudes. Lots of love. But oh, by the way, yeah. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that malarkey. And th you know, as always, thanks for the shares and the corresponds we, we you know it, we are grateful cheers dudes have a great week bye bye bye, bye. <laughs>